Good morning, everybody. Thank you for turning in to Law Matters. I've been telling you for a few weeks now that we've got a lot of things going on, so I'm going to introduce Hal Kempfer. He's going to give us an update on Ukraine, and while he's doing that, grab a pen and paper because you're going to need it. Hal, how you doing? <laughs> Good, Sherry. How are you? I'm doing great, which is more than I can say for the headlines. What's going on? Oh, there's a lot going on. Well, the big news yesterday with Ukraine, uh, the war in Ukraine, of course, one of the biggest things is the inability to get out grain, you know, wheat, corn, uh, sunflower oil, uh, fertilizer uh, from Russia uh, out of out of the Black Sea region. And, of course, that's threatening uh, food shortages in some places, threatening uh, serious famine, uh, particularly in the Middle East, uh, Africa, East Africa. And uh, there's been a full international effort to try and address this well. There's been extensive negotiations, and as of Friday, uh, a deal got signed uh, with uh, Ukraine, Russia, and Turkey uh, under the auspices of the United Nations. Uh, it was done. They were meeting in Istanbul, and they're uh, opening uh, sea lanes. Uh, there's three ports in Ukraine, Odessa being the largest one, and Russian ports, and they're going to allow them to uh, export um you know, these foodstuffs and also the fertilizer. So the Ukraine gets, hopefully gets its grain out. Russia gets some of its grain and its fertilizer out. Uh, of course, Russia has that naval blockade on the Ukrainian ports. So that's the good news, all right? The bad news is that within 24 hours of the deal being signed, Russia launched missile attacks on the port of Odessa. Yeah. So now, now everybody's got their hands in the air going, okay, and President Zelensky, and you can imagine, Others, the Secretary General of the United Nations, have said, you know, you know, this is not not a positive development. And it appears Russia is trying to, which was a big fear. I mean, everybody was very skeptical that Russia would actually follow through on this, despite the agreement being signed. And, of course, this missile thing kind of underscores that skepticism. So that's a big deal. Yeah, Russia um, has been getting their fertilizer out for years. They uh, well, you know, their, their fertilizer uh, is a is a major component of uh, what's exported. For example, eighty uh, percent of the wheat that goes to Egypt comes from the Russia-Ukraine area, and uh, a lot of these countries, particularly in the Middle East and Africa, are very dependent on Russian fertilizer. And so, many of these countries have had to actually adjust or shift their agricultural methods just to deal with the fact there isn't isn't that Russian fertilizer coming in. So, I mean, but, you know, uh, Russia with these agreements, it's very difficult. In fact, the agreement wasn't actually between Ukraine and Russia. Each party signed an agreement with Turkey and the United Nations separately because they would not sign agreement with each other directly. Uh, Rather interesting uh, arrangement on how that went. But well, that's a pretty a egregious act to start bombing people when when you just sign this and your your country's being represented on a, a broader scale than just between Ukraine and Russia. That's uh, that's yeah, that's that's pretty bad. You know, the other thing too, though, uh, we announced. You know, we had that forty billion dollar package of uh, of aid going to uh, Ukraine that was uh, that was signed up a couple months back. Well, about $270 million was announced for this week. Uh, four more HIMARS, those, uh, you know, those uh, multiple-launch rocket systems that are incredibly precise. They've been taking out, I think it's safe to say, dozens of command posts, uh, arms depots, other high-value targets, really slowing down the Russians. There's 12 of them in country. They announced four more going over. And even though these numbers are small, a, these HIMARS carry a six-pod rocket launch, a rocket package that can shoot out up to 80 kilometers, over 50 miles. And they are so precise that it's the equivalent. One of those pods firing six rockets is the equivalent. I've seen stuff that says about 700 to 900 Russian artillery rounds, to give you a comparison. So they're incredibly powerful, and they're extremely accurate. So... Uh, they, they, they're sending four more of those. Did uh, they add any addresses to those that are going over there? They have any, you know, well, like latitude and longitude 
specifics? Oh, <laughs> you know, there's there's Nick. I can't. You know, never I, mind. I, I don't. I don't know statistics. I don't know the specifics. I'm sorry. That's all uh, right. But but there's an intelligence sharing program with the Ukrainians. Uh, we alluded to it some months back, and then we quit alluding to it because it was becoming an international issue. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping that the people over there will agree to get at least let the grain get out so people aren't starving because this is huge. And I know they have other products that the world depends on from Ukraine and that's not getting out either. So, I don't know. Did you lose Hal? I think he did. He's not on the phone. We have another caller. I don't know... A couple of years ago, it has to be a couple of years ago, we had a, a Jim Sayer on the phone, and he was telling us about a state trooper who was killed on I-10 in 1998, and it was a horrific accident. And he was trying to get us to um, talk to our legislator and let them know that, you know, hey, we... <laughs> We want to honor this man. There's a bridge being built on the Ruth Ruff Road. We want to honor this man. And Trooper Cruz's daughter, Marissa, is on the phone. She's going to tell us, give us an update, and tell us what we can do. And you're going to want to have your pen and paper ready. Marissa, can you hear me? Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much, Sherry. So tell us what's going on. I know some progress has been made not necessarily at mock speed, but progress has been made. And tell us what we can do to help. Yeah, we, we finally uh, got on the dock. So we're on the docket. So what's going on now and where we need, you know, the community support is on Tuesday, July 26th. Um, we're going to have a meeting and it will be a hybrid meeting. So there will be a Zoom link available and we'll share that with you so you can put on your website. Um, so at 10 a.m., we're going to be able to go before the board and, and you know, formally speak to them and, you know, make our request to have this, this uh, overpass named after my dad. So, you know, the reason it's so important to us is this is where he was killed by a drunk driver on December 9th, 1998. So where he was killed, they decided to build an overpass there and to our family and you know to Jim who Jim started this whole this whole thing and he's a great close family friend he requested that it be named you know after him because he was killed in this area this is the area that he protected now my dad was a, a DPS officer for 17 years protecting the highways and and he died doing this in in that area so it just made sense to us, and we didn't think it'd be such a a D- difficult, difficult request. Oh my gosh, the, the difficulty to even get this get this there. I don't know if everyone remembers. Oh, we, you know, Jim made the request. Um, suddenly, the whole uh, committee that listened to these requests disbanded, and there was no one listening to to any of these requests. Uh, tried to go through the governor's office. We, we tried everything. And finally, uh, you know, over a year afterwards, someone responded and said, oh, no, I think it's already named after someone else. What? <laughs> and we finally, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the, the stories I can tell you about this whole process has been crazy. Um, then it wasn't. And we said, oh, no, it, it, it isn't. Uh, and then it was, um, I mean, we even heard from someone in the governor's office, who said we don't understand? He said I don't understand why this is so important. It's been over twenty years since he was killed. <gasps> it was terrible. And, um, and do you have that name by any chance? You know what? Uh, I don't have it up in front of me. Oh, but nuts! This, we this could throw him is, under the bus. Yeah. Uh, so the governor's office definitely heard from our family about that comment, and our understanding is he's actually no longer no longer there. Um, we did God. get an apology. Yeah, yeah, we did get an apology. But then, again, we didn't hear anything back about this. And, then, you know, thank God for Jim. He just, you know, pushed, pushed, and we finally got put on the docket. 
Now, and you and you say DACA, like, we're talking the Capitol building. They're going to have, yep. it's on, it's on uh, the agenda to talk about, and then it has to move forward if it's approved, right? Correct. Correct. It's, I mean, it's still, this isn't the end. Yeah. But <laughs> it's finally being able to, and we, we're going to be heard is, is what's happening. And um, so we're, what we're trying to do is gather as many supporters as possible to help us fill up that room and, you know, make, make our point, make our statement. And just, I don't understand why this is so difficult. It's, it's something that's positive. It's something that's good. He lived in this community. He protected this community, you know, and he died for this community, protecting, protecting it. So we're just asking for support. Yeah, your dad was an amazing man, and, and I, I can't think of anybody else that should be honored by doing what you're doing. And when you talk about the Zoom link, we're asking everybody, it's already on our website, go to lawmatters1030.org, go to the photos gallery page is that what it's called john photo page and the stories there the links there the zoom link is there yeah. all you have to do is click on that zoom link at 10 o'clock on tuesday and be a part of that meeting and let them know that there's a lot of people here in southern arizona that really want this to happen so thank you thank you so much yes well and, yes. and, and there's a way to call in if you can't attend in person if you can't do the zoom link you can call um, the, the number is 833-548-0276. Uh, meeting ID is 828-9654-9584. And passcode is 726760. 726760. That, yeah, that'll be on your, on your website as well. Yeah, everything, all that information is on the website, and I'm asking everybody and tell everybody you know, hey, take a few minutes and log into this, be a part of this meeting. We want we want to honor Trooper Cruz for his bravery. And I thank I, you so. Much. Yeah, I thank you, and tell Jim thank you for letting me know this was happening. That was a a nice email to get. Yeah, yeah, Jim Fair is amazing. Thank you so much, Sherry. Okay, you have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. In the studio, we have a couple of people. We have uh, Mark, who is representing the Friends of the NRA. They've got a big event coming up in August, and he wants to tell you about it. And we have Grim, Mr. Reaper. (laughs) (laughs) We have Grim, and he's an instructor, a firearms instructor, with uh, Diamondback Shooting Sports. They've been on the show before. And we want to, first, we want to hear about this event because it's, it's huge. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, my name's Mark. Uh, I am the chairman of the Friends of the NRA uh, event here in Tucson. Uh, how did this happen? Uh, last Christmas, I attended my uh, wife's shooting group. Uh, the American Well-Armed Women, and uh, asked Susie, the president, uh, when is the banquet going to happen this year? We had attended you know, three, three or four years previous to COVID. And she says, well, went and retired and da-da-da-da-da. Uh, three days later, I got a call from uh, Ron Kapalongan, the uh, NRA rep for Arizona and uh, New Mexico, and said, I understand you want to run the banquet now no but uh i'm retired with time so here i am it is the like sherry said get your uh, pens and papers ready because uh i have some information that you will like the first one is our website friends of nra.org uh you go there push the august 6th uh, click on August 6th, and it will open up what we're doing. Uh, again, friends of nra.org. Uh, what this is is a banquet with auctions, raffles, um, sales, what have you. Uh, there's going to be somewhere between 130 and, depending how we do today, 150 people at the banquet. They are 
exciting. They are fast moving. We are giving away, um, giving away, selling, auctioning off, et cetera, et cetera, scads of stuff. Um, my living room is uh, filling up with uh, <laughs> with boxes. Uh, my wife came home the other day. <laughs> my wife came home the other day and said, "What are all those boxes out in front?" And I hadn't even noticed. Uh, UPS or someone had dropped off four big uh, big boxes. Uh, and they are the. I, I opened one just to be curious, and it's the one of the finest coolers I've ever seen. So, um, that's uh, what 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 it is. Is just a, a night of fun. Uh, you're going to meet like minded people. Uh, it's uh, we're going to we're going to uh, give away probably somewhere around thirty five weapons will be uh, will be auctioned off, uh, uh, sold, and then delivered by. Uh, Trail Boss Outfitters in Vail, who is our FFL, uh, they will perform a background check on the spot. And if you, uh, I don't know the exact uh, way this is going to happen, but uh, uh, in my case, in nineteen, I won a I won a weapon, and uh, they did the background check on me. And then uh, on on the next uh, business day, I went out to their shop in Vail. And picked up my uh, my firearm, uh, so we are uh, fully background checked. And uh, now, what is the Friends of the NRA? It is a five hundred one C three C three non profit and non political. So anything that uh, you folks ask, if it borders on politics, I'm just going to be quiet because I'm not allowed to say anything, and I don't want to say anything. This is a foundation that backs education and firearm safety for kids, for everybody. Uh, most of our grants, uh, grant, let's talk about grants, um, we collected about $250,000 in 2019. A very small fee goes to the NRA for uh, administration and, par- and paying Ron's salary, and uh, most of it was... $250,000 was given out to like 4-H clubs, shooting clubs, women's safety, uh, women's uh, group uh, groups like the uh, uh, American Well-Armed Women, uh, police depart- uh, smaller police departments for tactical gear. Uh, educa- it's education and training. Eddie the Eagle, uh, the NRA's... Uh, uh, program for uh, kids safety courses uh, but this is it's safety gun safety gun safety gun safety so uh, as far as scope we've uh, had a total member uh, total attendees of these uh, banquets has been 4.5 million over since 1992 uh, well that sounds like a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> it is we've got 13,000 volunteers nationwide uh so it's 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 a fun fun night august 6th uh friends of nra.org and uh look into it and come and see us check it out yeah check it out you want to grim you're certified with the nra to be an instructor Yes, my mom certified uh, pistol, rifle, and shotgun instructor as well as, as their uh, refuse to be a victim program. Tell me a little bit about your uh, listeners. I know your background. Tell them about your background because I think it's important. Um, <clears throat> well, let's see. Uh, the most important thing, I guess, I did, the journey started when I was about seven. My dad started me boxing when I was about seven years old and I've been in the martial arts in some way, shape, or form ever since then, so that's a little over 42 years at this point. Uh, My formal education with firearms began in 1992 when I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, and I was lucky enough to spend five glorious years with Uncle Sam's misguided children. Um, But I was, uh, my MOS was reconnaissance, and at the time that was a deep reconnaissance element. I wasn't a direct action. I wasn't a door kicker. I wasn't a shooter. I was... I was a sneaky little ninja who hid in a bush for about five weeks at a time, called in intel and artillery and airstrikes and things like that. Um, <clears throat> Is that why you're wearing that outfit? Yes, ma'am. Blends in. <laughs> Makes me hard to see. Okay. Uh, I am a ninja in triple canopy jungle. I'm still trying to figure out the desert. That's why I kind of stand out here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, just 
things life took me on its own very very interesting path but um from a very young age i i recognize and i felt it was very important for people to learn how to be able to defend themselves and and the confidence and see all the positive things that come out of that so naturally firearms being an american firearms is a very you know significant portion of that um journey and i was lucky enough uh once we moved to tucson to sit through the ccw class at diamondback shooting sports back when ben anderson was the director of training and uh, he's former 82nd Airborne. He and I saw eye to eye on a whole bunch of things, came out to one of the EDC classes. Um, and we got to talking, and I told him about my background, specifically um, the dangers of being close and why I feel the knife is a superior tool at touch distances. And uh, kind of piqued his curiosity. He invited me up to the shop. Uh, we did a little bit of... Uh, exploration in the realm of violence <laughs> i guess uh we now affectionately call that room our violence laboratory <clears throat> and uh, after that <laughs> after that experiment we conducted he invited me on board uh, and that was just about three and a half years ago and i've been with diamondback ever since and in those three and a half years i've taken over as director of training and i literally fell backwards into the funnest job i've ever had and I've been in your class, and it's a fun class. I, and I, you, you know, as a paralegal, I know law can be very boring, <laughs> but you don't make it boring. So hats off to you. Thank you. Let me ask you: When people come in to to do a class, what is the biggest misconception they have when they want to get involved with guns and protection and everything? What do you think? They're they walk in and they think this, and it's actually that. Um. I would say probably the biggest misconception we see, or not even a misconception, but people don't understand, uh, as Mark was talking about, the level of training and and just how serious the vast majority of um, responsible gun owners take gun safety. You know, they they we start off every class, uh, every firearms class, uh, reviewing the four universal safe gun handling rules. Uh, You may also hear them called Cooper's rules. We talk about the NRA three fundamental gun handling rules, and I think. it, it really open up opens up uh, people's eyes, especially coming through 2020, 2021, when things were a bit crazy. We had a lot of people coming in who were first-time gun binders. And, and, and a lot of times we'd hear it out of their mouth, you know, I never thought I would own a gun in my life, but just because of what's happening, I feel the need to go out. You know, I, I, I never thought I would be one of those people. <laughs> and I always got to chuckle at that, like, oh, one, one of, of those, those people. people. Exactly. <laughs> um. And then they take a class, and I, I think it really opens their eyes to just how seriously uh, responsible gun owners take safety, take training. It's a huge and liability. how important it is. Absolutely. Just how important it is. And when you're picking out a weapon and you're a first-time gun owner, yep. what are you supposed to do? How are you so you, you, know, you don't pick out the biggest one in the case because you can hardly <laughs> lift it? What Some people do? love to do that. Well, <laughs> both ends of the spectrum uh, is typically what we see. Um, a lot of times there's the misconception that, well, I want a really small gun because it's going to be very easy to hold. Well, there is a trade-off yeah. because the smaller the gun, typically the harder it is to shoot. You know, a, a snub-nosed revolver, if you're shooting a 38 Special Plus P defensive rounds out of, that is not a fun weapon. Um, that is not a fun firearm for a beginner. Uh, it is certainly not a beginner's weapon. I think the biggest thing that I think is most important is you want to take a look. You want to ask friends, uh, people in your life who own firearms, see what their recommendations are, um, but take everything with a grain of salt. Everybody has their own personal biases. Go into a reputable gun shop, um, pick up a bunch of different uh, firearms, feel what they see what they feel like in your hands. But more important than simply how it feels in your hands is you want to try and shoot the weapons before you commit to purchasing one. You know, you shoot the firearm. Uh, because a lot of times people are surprised. Like I said, the smaller the weapon, sometimes the less friendly it is when you're firing it. Um, and if you can find in a, a shop, Diamondback is one of them. When we teach our intro to handguns class, they have a variety of handguns that they can try and shoot. And it helps narrow that process down for a lot of people. Yeah, you want to be able to try it before you buy it. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. You you need to be one with that weapon. You have to really know it and understand it. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. Thank you for staying with us. Okay, when when you're teaching kids over at Diamondback, 
how old do you recommend people to if they're going to have weapons in the house or they're going to be about around people who have weapons how old do you think the kids should be before they take a class if uh you know if you're a firearm owner i don't necessarily think there's an age limit or a or a minimum age uh for the children as as mark was saying the eddie the eagle program that the nra has is is a fantastic one my kids have gone through it um and the big goal of that i think is to take away the mystique or the 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 sense of taboo of these firearms because a lot of times it's the kids curiosity about these things that causes an accident that that gets people in trouble absolutely my my children are are familiar with firearms they're not allowed to um handle the firearms if my wife or i are not present um and for my oldest uh i wanted her to be six before i actually took her out shooting that was just a random number I'd, I'd come to at some point. It but depends it was, on the child too, and, 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 that's, the maturity and that's a of the big, child. big portion of it. Is it depends on the child? You know, uh, I, I don't think she would have been ready before that. Yeah. So, well, I, I was um, single mom. I had a son. Uh, our neighbor across the street was deputy sheriff for Pima County. Had a canine, and I knew you've got a dog, you've got guns, you've got all this stuff. So that's why I signed my son up for classes and he was about six or seven years old and you know he he learned everything he needed to know and respect the weapon it's not yours don't touch it and that's the thing i i would always say if it's not yours don't touch it and that doesn't mean weapons it means everything that's just good advice for life in general <laughs> exactly so keep keep your hands off blank that don't belong to you exactly, exactly. cardinal rule absolutely in, the, in, in mark's home <laughs> Well, a lot of things, um, I think, you know, your your cousin Jethro may not understand the laws the way they're supposed to be taught, so he might interpret them differently. You teach a lot of law in your class. We do in that CCW class, absolutely. So explain some of those laws that you think our listeners, I mean, it's like an 18-hour class. But <laughs> <laughs> explain, explain some of them that you think the listeners should know about before they take the class. Um. I, I think the biggest thing, uh, you know, we can touch on a, a whole bunch of different things. Um, the fact that Arizona is a constitutional carry state, that actually surprises a lot of people, even sitting through the concealed weapons permit class. Uh, they don't realize that as a constitutional carry state, Arizona firmly believes you have a right to carry your firearm openly or concealed. Um, there are certain places you cannot go, absolutely. Um, Arizona is one of the states where you are not allowed to drink with your firearm in public. I I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some very bad things happen coming from people drinking with firearms. Um, <clears throat> but more importantly, I think uh, one of the biggest things is, is, I guess, a misunderstanding of the concept of self-defense and the right to defend yourself and the, the specific parameters that have to exist in a situation uh, to justify both the use of physical force or lethal force, you know, and it's not it's not quite as convoluted as some people make it out to be, but it is certainly not simple either. It's, you know, it's it's the very Goldilocks adage, you know, not too little, not too much, but just right. <laughs> you know, uh, what was the Supreme Court's definition of obscenity? I, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. A lot of people feel that they their gut instinct is going to come through, and uh, I think that actually causes a lot of problems. I think one of the biggest things is people should be educated. Um, for example, with regards to, say, using your firearm in a defensive environment or, or what is termed a defensive display in the state of Arizona. There are two states in the United States where you're allowed a defensive display, and it's Arizona and Alaska. In the vast majority of other states, what is an allowable defensive display here in Arizona would be considered um, the common term is brandishing or threatening exhibition with a deadly weapon um, provided you know the the um, mitigating factors exist that that allow you to present that weapon defensively you can't pull a weapon but it is not against the law to inform someone who potentially is making you uneasy that they should stay back if they continue to encroach. You do have a right in, in the state of Arizona to inform them that you have a weapon and you will use it to defend yourself. 
Um, but again, with all of that, I think, you know, it just what we're talking about on the radio certainly isn't enough. In fact, that's actually why I ended up taking the Diamondback um, concealed weapons permit classes because it is a six-hour class and half of it is devoted to law and legal. And yeah. for me, uh, having moved from uh, California, it was very, very important that I learn what I was allowed to do, what I was not allowed to do, or what was legally permissible and what was not legally permissible. So somebody breaks into your house, but you don't feel threatened by them, shooting them would be a no-no. But if you feel threatened, you can shoot them and that's okay. Shooting them? um, So... Arizona's Castle Doctrine. Arizona's Castle Doctrine is probably you to talk one <laughs> of the um, strongest in the nation. Uh, I will I will debate anyone who says otherwise, uh, and that's because Castle Arizona's Castle Doctrine is based around the concept of a person who has unlawfully entered your home or is attempting to unlawfully enter your home represents they are presumed to represent an imminent threat to everyone in that home. Imminent threat or imminent peril is the justification for use of lethal force in the state of Arizona. Therefore, if someone is unlawfully entering your home or attempting to enter your home, lethal force is now on the table. Now, morally and ethically, if someone were in your home and you did not feel threatened by them, that's a completely different issue. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't Think about before they find themselves in this situation. I think that's a tragic mistake. You've sat through the class. You want, you, you've heard me talk ad nauseum about the what-if scenarios and, and imagining this or visualizing that. And I think because uh, it, it's this is a one-way street. If you lo- use lethal force, potentially there's no coming back from it. It right. is out there. You can't take it back. You can't say, oops, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Um. But with regards to Castle Doctrine, yeah, legally, you would be justified morally and ethically. That's that's always been a very, very different issue. And you said the Castle Doctrine uh, applies to your car? Yes, ma'am. In the state of Arizona, it does. It applies to your vehicle. <laughs> I, there was one case precedent uh, where the uh, lawyer was sa- successfully able to articulate uh, the bicycle as Castle Doctrine. And that was, I thought that was a very, very interesting thing. Now, somebody cuts you off on a bicycle. And you shoot them, that's tacky. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it is certainly not a a clear-cut area. However, if someone's attempting to yank you off of your bicycle, you know, we've seen, I, I think everyone here has seen enough videos of um, just how tragically fast an, an assault can turn deadly. Uh, if if you're not prepared to defend yourself, and Arizona firmly believes in a citizen's right to defend themselves. Okay, when you have weapons, you've you've got weapons at home. How do you keep them safe? So if you've got visitors in the house, you're not living alone. You've got other people in the house. Right. You want to secure these weapons. What do you do? Uh, so for me, a, a couple different strategies. Um, the Number one strategy is I, I have one of those large floor bolt safes, bolts into the floor. It's also bolted into the, the wood studs in, in the wall. And that's where the vast majority of my firearms live the vast majority of the time. And you're going to give everybody your address, yeah, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. thought about a, a weird joke. Anyway. <laughs> um, but here's the thing is, is trying to balance... Preventing unauthorized access, which is the purpose of that safe. It prevents unauthorized access, especially for my children. My wife and I are the only two people who know the combination to that that safe. Um, But you're also trying to balance the capacity of of having access to these firearms in a potential home defense scenario. Now, the the floorboard safe that I have is one of those uh, four-dial combination safes. There's no way I'm getting into that thing quickly. Yeah. I mean, I need a full pot of coffee in daylight to get into that thing. <laughs> you know, if it's 3 a.m. Uh, and I've woken up out of a dead sleep, there's no way I'm getting into that thing quickly. So the management strategy for that is the home defense uh, firearms that we have. Uh, my wife and I have two little nightstand safes, right? They're uh, big enough for a pistol, and it opens to a push-button combination those you can access out of a dead sleep. You can wake up. You can be up and running pretty quickly, uh, provided, again, like we, we we were talking about earlier, provided you put in the time to do the practice, to do the training, uh, you can access that fairly quickly. 
Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. People who have firearms, they just buy it and they put it in their, their nightstand and they, they think they're good to go. Yes, ma'am. Not necessarily. You need to really practice. That's that's a really big one. Um, you know, you've seen it. You, when we're out on the range, um, people have a firearm, and whether or not it's their first firearm or, you know, I've been shooting forever and you hear something along those lines. And they get out and they don't quite understand the fundamental mechanics of shooting a firearm and uh, they have bad shots as a result. Well, that's in a no-pressure environment on a safe range with proper safety gear, eye protection, ear protection. Can you imagine the same scenario? You wake up out of a dead sleep because you just heard somebody kick in your front door, grabbing that firearm. You have no eye protection. You know, have, have no ear protection. Your pupils are completely open because it's the middle of the it's night. Dark. You're dark adapted. Um, and the level of stress that's going to be a company. You're going to be in the middle of an adrenal dump. Your heart is going to be racing. It's going to feel like it's beating out of your chest. You're probably going to have some form of auditory occlusion. You will hear some sounds very, very clearly. You will probably miss other very obvious sounds. Time dilation effects where time either speeds up or slows down one or the other. Um, and the, one of the biggest ones is a, a, a massive uh, case of tunnel vision. You are trying to identify that threat sometimes to the point where you do not see other blatantly obvious things. If you live in a home that has other people living in that home, you can't tunnel vision like that. You need to be aware of everybody in the home, where everyone is, uh, what your shooting angles are, ensure that you don't have anyone, um, any of your loved ones in harm's way, so to speak. So if people don't train, they think, well... Yeah, they they treat the firearm like a magic wand. Well, I've got a gun, and therefore I'm safe. Everything is good. No, that's you just started down this path. You need to now. Get you're more trained. dangerous than you were before. <laughs> what, what's the saying? A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So, the shooting range that you have, yes, can people like pay to go there, or how how does this work? No, uh, the the range we're we're lucky enough to have a private range, um, and it's only open to Diamondback and the, the property owner and then okay. the people that the property owner allows. Um, so if somebody wants to come out, do some training with us, they have to schedule the training through us. We do offer private lessons as well as uh, a whole host of other uh, classes. We have everything from the intro to handguns where I've never owned a firearm before in my life. I'd like to learn how to safely handle this gun and, and do good shots. Up through an everyday carry, if you're thinking about carrying concealed, this is the skill sets, the baseline skill sets you want to have access to and be able to practice on your own. We have carbine classes, vehicle defense. We can run CQB. What do you mean vehicle defense? Uh, So a lot of people think of it as the counter carjacking material or things like that. But if we think back over the past two or three years... uh, We've seen several incidents. Say you're a motorist and you're driving down the road and a protest or a peaceful protest or a riot, whatever you want to call it, has shut down traffic and you're trapped in this particular situation. Uh, We saw very, very vivid examples of it. If everybody remembers uh, the 92 riots in LA and the Reginald Denny incident Mm -hmm. where that driver was pulled out of his tractor, uh, of his uh, vehicle and just assaulted with bricks and pipes and kicks, you know, horrible scenario. Um, Shooting from a vehicle presents a whole host of very unique challenges. Um, And that's just if you're by yourself, if you have passengers in the vehicle, now you have to be hyper aware of the safety issues related to that, how to keep your passengers safe, or what if you're the shooter, but you're not the driver? How do you avoid, you know, getting people in, 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 um, or avoid flagging people or um, crossing over with a line of fire? somebody who shouldn't be crossed over. So we have a whole host, a whole spectrum of classes. Uh, Basically, the way we like to talk about is everything from touch distance out to about a 1,000 yards. We have a good instructor who can teach you. I'm certainly not the one for all of them. We have a a pool of very, very good instructors at Diamondback. How many? Um, We have unofficially... (laughs) We probably have eight or nine, but on the books we have, we currently have 
four, and that's because we we lost a few. They moved on to um, full time positions with other organizations, and we're very happy to see them go. It's <laughs> I'm very we're we're here's happy your, for your, them. Oh, we're not okay. happy to see them go. We're happy for them. It's like here's your hat, which you're <laughs> but sad to see them go. That's a better way to say it. Were they also NRA certified? Yes, ma'am. That was one of the big things. We put a whole bunch of our instructors through um, the NRA certification process. Uh, and where do you go to do that? Uh, we actually go to uh, Chester Manning. Chester huh? Manning's a, a, a local individual in town. He's a, an NRA, I, I believe the term is NRA counselor or, or training counselor. Uh, he's the person authorized to teach the classes to, inst- uh, to certify someone as an NRA instructor. Uh, Chester Manning is a, a great guy. He's a good friend of the shop. We... Uh, we are very, very fortunate to have a relationship with him. And how long does it take you to get certified with the NRA? It depends on the class you're going for, but the vast majority of them, you have to take the class first as a student. So let's say if I wanted to become a pistol instructor, I would have to take the NRA Pistol 1 course, which okay. I believe is an eight-hour course. And then once upon successful completion of that course, then I would have to take the eight-hour NRA Pistol Instructor course. So it would be a total of 16 hours. And do they test you do you have a written exam you have a written exam you have a shooting component a shooting qualification component um do you do that with each kind of weapon yeah in 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 broad categories so for example if i'm a pistol instructor that's all pistols okay rifle instructor all rifles shotgun instructor all shotguns. Now, there's a tremendous amount of variability in within each of those those um areas but what they're giving you is the tools and the knowledge to be able to understand how the firearm works from a general standpoint. And even though the weapons can be very, very different, firing a rifle, it doesn't matter if it's a short carbine or a bolt action, the basics and the fundamentals are the same. And that's uh, that's what those courses are about, teaching you those fundamental skill sets. How about bow and arrow? I am not aware if the NRA teaches a bow and arrow <laughs> class. Um, you know, it, it would be a fun thing. A lot of the guys in our shop um, are bow hunters. And yeah. I used to do it a lot when I was a kid, not so much as an adult. And it's something I'd, I wouldn't mind getting back into. My my children have been bugging me because they like bow and, <laughs> bows and arrows, so they want to do it. Absolutely. What's the name of that place on the west side of town that... I am not sure. I can't think of it, but there is a place here that teaches bow and arrow type stuff. Well, if my uh, children are listening, I will be taking them there shortly because they will not <laughs> let me forget it. So, <laughs> <laughs> don't forget. Yeah, it's it's down there by the almost by the expressway on okay. Fairview or Fairfield, some street. I don't know, but anyway, practicing. How often should a person be practicing with a firearm? Um. I, as as often as they can. Now, one of the big things we talk about is the important of, uh, importance of dry fire practice. Now, there, there's a lot of people out there that suffer from that, that misconception that you can only learn to shoot if you're shooting live ammunition. That is not, that is incorrect. You can certainly do all your dry fire practice. That gives you the manipulations of everything you would be able to do with live ammunition without the cost of shooting live ammunition. Now, there's certainly a place in time where you have to shoot live ammunition. But practicing your draw stroke, practicing your trigger press and your sight alignment, which are the fundamentals of running any type of a firearm, you can do without any live ammunition. Um, what I recommend for most people is if, if you liken it to, say, uh, when you were in school, if you ignore a subject and then try and cram for eight hours the night before the test, yeah, it's not going to work very well. Right. But if you put in a little bit of study every single night, come the time for the test, you'll be very, very prepared. Uh, shooting a, a firearm is no different. I'm a big believer in doing a lot of small blocks of time. My recommendation for most people is at least five to ten minutes a day. For most people, especially in the beginning, five minutes might be the upper limit. It's just hard to focus, you know, have that laser focus on any given task for more than five minutes for a lot of people nowadays, right? Your mind starts to wander, you know, did I pay the bills? When's the mortgage due? (laughs) Who's picking up the kids today? Right? You have all these little distractions that creep in. Uh, But if you do good, five good minutes of dry fire practice a day, I think most people would be very, very amazed at just how quickly and how rapidly they're, they're shooting Improves. Improves. Yes, ma'am. The thing that 
um, I found kind of difficult was where you put your index finger because <laughs> it's it's natural to put it on the trigger and you yes, don't ma'am. want it there. No, ma'am. No. So explain to the people why where you should put it and why. So are you talking about uh, rule... As they're commonly explained, rule number three, keep your finger off the trigger until you are on sites and ready to take that intended shot. Um, for us, we firmly believe that if your finger is not on the trigger, it should be at a high index or a high register up on the frame of the weapon. You don't want to simply set it outside of the trigger guard. The danger in that is something called the um, sympathetic grip reflex, right? And for those of you unfamiliar with it, if you close down one hand, the other hand wants to close down. It is hardwired into our nervous system. And it is tied into our startle response, which means if you're surprised or something startles you or you trip and you stumble, as you clench down with one hand, there's the chance that your other hand will clench down. And if your finger is simply sitting on the trigger or just outside of the trigger guard, it's very easy to snap through. And that's the, the, the source of a lot of negligent discharges. Accidents. Yes, ma'am. Accidents happen. Yes, ma'am. So, so remember you want, that. You want to take that preventative measure. You want to get that trigger finger nice and high off that trigger up on the frame of the weapon. That way, if you do have that reflexive uh, grip or, or where you clench down, your finger simply buries itself harder into the slide of the weapon, and you're not anywhere near the trigger to have that ND. Yeah, you're not killing the instructor or your friend. <laughs> As you an know. instructor, I find that particular point very important. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, the, the, the vast majority of, of negligent discharges are directly due to a violation of rule number three where they had their finger on the trigger and they pressed the trigger when they shouldn't have. So, Mark, where did you take your classes and how long have you been using firearms? My first recollection of being involved with firearms is... Uh, with my father. Uh, I was seven or eight, and I went hunting with him. Uh, we were from Ohio hunting rabbits and pheasants, and we had a beagle. And I, I was under strict rules to stay behind me, and that was my first experience. And then uh, my dad would uh, go, we would go shooting at a, a summer place that we uh, had access to, and that's I started shooting a, a 22 pistol and a 22 rifle, and so I was very young. And then in the Boy Scouts, we had uh, NRA courses, uh, and that was back in, I was, let's see, 1960, uh, 59. Uh, we had, uh, uh, every year we'd go through a, a, a gun safety course, and then went through a gun safety courses at the, YM, at the local YMCA. I bet they uh, don't offer those anymore. I I would be very surprised. <laughs> in the, bo- uh, in the Boy Scouts, I was I don't know this, and I was sorely disappointed that they did away with the marksmanship merit badge. Um, that is, I, that I, is I think too bad. that's true. Uh, I don't know if it's true. Uh, I've asked. I a couple was never guys, allowed to be a Boy Scout. <laughs> How? But you are now. Yeah, no doubt. For, <laughs> Let's stay away from that one. Uh, I, I just wanted, I, I missed a couple points. Uh, I mentioned the uh, American Armed Women. If, uh, if there's any ladies out there that want to access that, um, the best way to do it would be to call the Pima Pistol Range uh, up north of town off of Oracle uh, on Bowman Road. Uh, they can give you the number of the, um, get you in touch with the, the ladies of that that group. Uh, my wife started uh, six or seven years ago with him, and it is now a concealed carrier. Uh, they have uh, they do their classes, they do their training. Their uh, their um, instructors are all certified uh, NRA people. So if you if you're a female and want to shoot or hone your skills. Uh, that's the that's a great way to do it. Are they going to be at the event on August sixth? There will be there will be some of them there at the event. Uh, a lady, the president named Susie Burroughs, will be there, and uh, for sure. And you know, talk to me. Uh, I can uh, set you, uh, you know, set you to the people that uh, that matter with that. But it's uh, it's a great organization. Uh, my wife shoots. Uh, Every Tuesday with a group uh, out at Pima Pistol, so she live fires once a week, uh, and it's uh, 
It's an expensive hobby. (laughs) (laughs) What isn't expensive? (laughs) It's expensive. Well, we I started. You know, I bought my wife. We bought bought our for her our the first gun. It was a Smith and Wesson MP uh, Shield. What's that? Uh, it's a subcompact. It's the Smith and Wesson's first uh, single stack subcompact. Yeah. Oh, that made it's a, it it's all a, clear. It's a fun, it, <laughs> too, too it's hard, a, to, too hard to slide. So da 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 da. We bought her a hammerless 380. Didn't like that because the rest of the girls all have automatics. Uh, so we, now we went to a. a, a I bought her a, a 22. She bought a 22, and or I bought it for Christmas, and then into her Glock 43. So. So she's progressing. Yes. Pretty soon she'll have a newsie. Expensive hab. Pretty soon. Yeah. Pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I want to remind everybody, please go to our website. Check out the the photo tab. All the information about Trooper Cruz is on there. And if you'd please join the, the Zoom meeting and let the people up at the Capitol know that we really want this to happen. It would, it would be a super, super way to honor this man who gave his life. He gave his life for us. I want to also remind everybody that, and I didn't talk to you about this yet, on the August 13th from 9 to 12 at the TPD station on Miracle Mile, we have two IRS agents who are going to talk to you about cryptocurrency and cyber crimes and what to watch out for. Uh, go to our website where it says register for the event. Click on there and it'll have more information so you can understand what's going on with cryptocurrency. I don't think it's going away, but it'd be nice to understand what it's about and, and what's happening with it. I don't have... Where's my clock? Oh, okay. So <laughs> so join us next week, too. And we also have... And it's not on our website yet, but we're going to be doing a Nominate Your Favorite Veteran um, for a Recognition Contest. Send us in a story about your favorite veteran, and we'll have a pool of people who are going to read and decide who's going to be recognized that day. They'll ride in the parade. We'll give them uh, a basket of goodies, and we'll have them on the radio show to hear what their particular um, story is and why they served. Everybody has their own reason why they serve, and we want to hear it. So you want you want to say something? Just one more time. Uh, the, the Friends of NRA.org on August 6th. Great event. Good for helping people understand and use firearms. Okay. Mostly kids. Mostly kids. Okay. Until next week, I want everybody to shop local. Stay safe. Live show brings you law enforcement every Saturday morning at 8. On our next show, John Gartner, professor of psychology and author, explains the mentality of people who are elected to represent us. Hi, this is Sherry, asking you to help us keep the lines of communication open with the tax deductible donation. Simply go to our website, lawmatters1030.org, and show your support. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org.